My son, pay attention to my, to, to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house lest you lose your honour to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. At the end of your life you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. You will say how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to, the, to my instructors and I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? For your ways are in full view of the Lord, and he will examine all your paths. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. For lack of discipline, they will die, led astray by their own great folly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Peter. I'm guessing if you rocked up this morning and you didn't know we were preaching on chapter 5 this morning, you'd think, what have we just walked into? Uh, I felt that when I come to preaching on this passage that was set out for me by Brad. Thanks, Brad. Uh, so we're going to have uh, some interesting time this morning. But first of all, uh, just a couple of family church things, because I think it's just worth highlighting that um, we had an amazing weekend last weekend when we had our family service. Kids were in uh, and we had the QTC guys. It was an amazing service last Sunday. Thanks for everybody who helped out with that. But just a good reminder that we are a church and we are a family. A couple of things relating to that. Um, if you around a couple of years ago, you'd remember uh, uh, one of our older patriarchs, Alf. Um, Alf is well in his 90s. He's been part of this church for many, many, many years, uh, way before my time. Uh, Alf had a stroke uh, yesterday. So we need to be praying for him that he, um, yeah, the Lord uh, takes him home uh, ultimately. Uh, he's ready for home. He loves the Lord. We know that's a good place for him to be. Um, we also need to be praying for our youth guys. All our youth guys are at a youth camp all this week. Ben assures me, because uh, he's doing the talks, that it's not a camp of fun, it's a camp of work. So we need to be praying for those guys too out at Mugra Dam uh, for them. So before we get into this passage, uh, as we talk about this sort of stuff as, as a church family, which is good for us, let us um, let's pray for those guys before we start. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you that uh, you're our Heavenly Father and we can come to you as children 
and children dependent on you. Lord, we think of this time for, for our brother, Alf, uh, a man that's been uh, a great role model for our church for many years while he was able to come. And Lord, we just pray for him and his health. Lord, we know he's ready to go home and he's ready to be with you, Lord. So we commit him to your hands. Lord, we also pray for uh, the youth guys who are out at the youth camp uh, today. That they will, this will be the start of a great week as Ben does the talks out there, as they proclaim Jesus, as they enjoy each other's fellowship and encourage each other in their walk with you. We pray that your Holy Spirit will be working on many hearts out there of young people uh, just wanting to know who you are and, and what it means to follow you. So Lord, we commit them to you. And Lord, also as we um, come before an interesting passage, Lord, we pray that you'd speak to us uh, an area of life that we all um, think about. But Lord, we just thank you that you do speak to us and you do guide us. So we just pray that you'd be with us now and uh, just open our hearts to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember a conversation quite clearly I had with a, a man a few years back when we were talking about Christianity and faith in general. And he said to me that Christianity is just too rigid, too many rules, too many guidelines. Um, you have to live a particular way to be a Christian, that it takes away your identity, takes away your freedom because you have to be like this particular person. He said Christianity, like all faiths, he, he's, according to him, is just like uh, guides for life. So you can choose, whether it's Christianity or other kinds of religions, they're good ways to live. So you can choose which way suits me, which one's going to benefit me to get the most out of life and make me a better person. Therefore, I can choose to, to go across all faiths, but I retain my identity, I retain my freedom that I, I choose to live the way I want. It's, that's the way I think it, it works. But what he's saying is very common. That Christianity, following Jesus as Lord, as boss of your life in a way, takes away your freedom. That it, in fact, binds us. It stops us from being ourselves and having fun and having enjoyment. On more than one occasion, uh, I've sat down getting my hair cut and, you know, conversation comes up, oh, what do you do? Or, uh, you know, it comes up that I go to church and I'm a Christian. And the hairdresser often says, oh, you're a Christian. So that means you can't get drunk or have sex outside of marriage or sex before marriage. That's what Jesus doesn't even register. But it's the rules. It's, that's what the sort of person you've got to be like. What they're saying is you're so bound up that you can't enjoy life as opposed to I'm free, I can go out on the weekend, I can do whatever you want, I can enjoy life. That's their comments. It's interesting when you come across some of the passage. So we're covering sort of chapter 5 and chapter 6 of Proverbs this morning. Then chapter 6 verse 23, we come across this verse, these commands are a lamp, this teaching is a light. And the corrections of discipline are the way to life. Now, reading it through just our natural world view that we're in, there's a whole lot of contradictions here, isn't there? This is the way to life, but hang on. I've got to follow the commands. I've got to obey the teachings, the corrections and discipline. That doesn't sound like life to me. That sounds like life of oppression, of rules, living under somebody else's teaching, not choosing to do whatever I want. So it raises the question then, what does it mean to have life to the full? Because Jesus promises you can have life to the full, uh, not just for eternity, but even now in this world, you can enjoy life. What does that mean? 
And how do freedom and discipline fit into the whole mix? Because Solomon, talking to his sons, definitely talking a line of discipline and instruction, live this way and you'll find life. How does that fit together? See, in Proverbs, you have Solomon. Uh, Solomon lived nearly 3,000 years ago. He's known for his wisdom. He's the wisest man at that time. He's one of the wealthiest men at that time. He had over 1,000 wives and girlfriends in his household, which makes you question his wisdom at times. Uh, but he's got lots of wisdom. He knows life, particularly when it comes to marriage, relationships and sexuality. And he's sitting down with his sons in the book of Proverbs saying, look, this is... This is what I know and this is how I want you to steer you in life to make good decisions. And he uses this word wisdom a lot. And wisdom is not just being intellectually smarter, although there is an aspect of that, but it's more understanding the world you live in. So if you want to understand the world you live in, don't look through the eyes of just people who live in the world. Why don't you look, through the world, look at the world through the eyes of the Creator himself? Know God. And when you know God then you understand the creation better. That's been the whole driving through. This whole fear the Lord, draw near to him, come near to him and he'll give you knowledge and understanding. This passage we're looking at this morning is how it's applied to three areas of life, uh, to, to sex, to money and to work. Now, uh, and character. We're going to spend... Uh, almost all our time just talking about marriage and sex this morning because the same principle applies to the others. But it's, uh, it's very relevant, not just for 3,000 years ago, but for today too, that we're so uh, sexually confused as a generation of what, what's God's plan for us sexually. So this is, I was telling somebody earlier, I feel like a dad giving his kids the sex talk this morning, but uh, as a church family, we are talking about this together. We do talk about passages that come up in our series. It's not just randomly picked out. I just happen to be the one privileged to... Privileged. I keep telling myself privileged to share that message this morning. Uh, but when we talk about um, marriage and sexuality, because there, there seems to be a, th a recurring theme in these couple of passages... Uh, that we'll slightly touch on the other two, but mainly this one. The person who appears to be free is actually bound. And the person who appears to be bound is actually free. When you're talking about sexual freedom, what does that look like? You know, when people say, I want to be free, I don't want restrictions, I want to be myself, I want to sleep with whoever I want, when I want, that sort of... Um, that, that idea of, uh, if it's natural for me, I, I'll do it. Like, if I'm thirsty, I get a drink. If I sexually driven I feel like I should be going out and having sex and that sort of attitude it's ignoring I don't want discipline as part of that I want fun I want to set my own rules for that sort of thinking it's like the whole Ashley Madison Ashley Madison the website that hooks up men and women for their affairs uh, their motto used to be life is short have an affair it's like you're not going to be on this earth for that long you may as well have fun while you're here and the idea of having fun is having an affair uh, it didn't seem so much fun when all the names got released from their website uh, and a lot of people paid a heavy price for being involved in that. But now they're up and running again, over 50,000 members, they, they say, already. And now their new motto is, find your moment. It's like, you know, the whole idea of getting married, monogamy, you know, staying in the one relationship, surely there's more to life than that. Find your moment. Find your moment to really let your hair down and have some fun. And that's the, the, their motto now. 
So Solomon sits down with his sons and it's like, we're going to talk about sex because sex is good. God created sex. But there's good sex and there's bad sex. This is how it works out in a couple of scenarios. He is talking to his sons here. So it's applied to young men before they're married uh, with the adulterous woman. But it's not exclusive to young men, is it? It's for men and women. It takes two to have an adultery. It's for uh, young and old. We're all sexually active. I knew um, uh, an old man said once uh, at a conference, uh, he got asked the question, he was an elderly man, he was, um, yeah, elderly is all I should say. Uh, they asked him about sexuality and um, is this an issue when you get older? And he said, I wouldn't trust myself till I'd been dead for three days when it comes to sex. <laughs> he says, it's always there. It's always in your system. But it's also not just a message just for young singles either. It's for singles and marrieds. Ashley Madison's a good example. Married, don't let that stop you. Come on out. Have fun. So this message is for all of us. All of us in the church family. Uh, and it's good for us to talk about this together. But when we get into the story, start of chapter 5, picking up at verse 3, uh, he pulls up the scenario. You'll meet this woman. Again, he's talking to his sons, but it's for all of us. You know, her lips are going to taste like honey. The words are going to be suki smooth. Like, you're going to be attracted to this woman. And you're going to feel like, man, there's something going on here. There's a real chemistry. Something could happen here that, that really drives you, that, that begs the question, what are you going to do with that physically, sexually? But an interesting thing, so you've got to think Solomon is not just a dad telling his kids don't have sex before married. He's a, a dad, but he's a husband of some uh, hundreds and uh, got concubines, which are living girlfriends of hundreds more. He knows what it's like. He wrote the book of Song of Songs. So it's, I find it interesting that he says in verse 6, that he's kind of saying no one sets out to be corrupt sexually. Now, I'm sure there are people who just set out to sleep as, with many people as they can. They don't care about the damage or how much hurt they have uh, left behind. But generally, he's saying, you know, have a look at this woman. She doesn't know her ways. Um, she doesn't know what she's doing. When he says, uh, she gives no thought to, her, to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. He's saying, you know... She's doing what's normal, what she wants to do and she's put you in a position where you're at a crossroads. What are you going to do? Uh, it's not necessarily setting out to be going the crooked path, but they're in that situation. He says she's uh, sort of describing a person who's ignorant <clears throat> of the decisions that they're making, the repercussions. Ignorant, uh, but not innocent. So the idea of Solomon telling this scenario, talking about this with his sons, he says, I want you to be innocent, not ignorant. So I want you to be aware of these things. Often, I think it's easy for us to get the approach of, we don't want to talk about these things so they, that our kids don't, aren't aware of it and they grow up ignorant, but then when the crunches come, they're, they're not sure what to do. He says, no, no, we're talking about this stuff. Don't be ignorant about it. Be innocent when it comes to about it. I think it's really insightful. But then he goes on in verse 7, describing how the, this occasion could really cost you. Cost you in three ways. Uh, the NIV uses words like um, you, that you give your best strength to her, give your best years to her. It's going to cost you financially as well. And just spending a few minutes just on those three things uh, is digging deeper than just the 
don't do it. Here's a rule. Don't have sex outside of marriage. He's more than that. He says you're giving your best strength to her, to others who you're emotionally connecting with through sexual intimacy. I was really um, enlightened, you'd say, by a lady called Dr. Patricia Wirakun. She's a sexologist, I think the common term for her. She's a qualified doctor, she's a lecturer in uh, sexual health. Uh, she's a Christian lady. We had her here at church a few years back. But I got this off her website because... Um, it's just really helpful in understanding how sex works in the relationship between two people. Uh, I think I've got the quote up there. I'll read it out for you. She says, Our brain is designed to form long-term bonds of commitment, attachment, committed attachment. This is revealed in the Bible and born out of research. So what she's saying is just not, here's a biblical theme. She's saying, this is what the, the researchers are saying. Sexual intimacy results in a hormone-driven brain-level attachment. Hormones called oxytocin and vasopressin, if I've pronounced them right. These have a particular purpose in pair bonding of couples. We call them cuddle hormones. Together, they create that special feeling of deep trust and commitment between couples. She goes on to say, that's like super glue. That sexual intimacy gets chemicals going, you know, sends you on that high of, you know, wow, this is awesome, and she's awesome, or he's awesome, and, you know, the, the real connectedness. She says it works like super glue. So when that, through that sexual intimacy, you get that bond of attachment, not only the, the physical enjoyment, but the attachment, she's the one, or he's the one. But she goes on to explain when. You do that when you're attached to somebody through sexual intimacy with that super glue type bond and then that relationship ends, it's like gluing two bits of paper together and you've got to separate that and it kind of damages both bits of paper and you leave a bit of each other behind. So then when you find another partner, or whether it's a one night stand or another long term relationship, you're just going from one to the other, it's harder then to glue yourself to another partner because you've got... Um, your glue is not as strong anymore, particularly with multiple partners. It's harder to bond, it's harder to trust, it's harder to commit because you've done it again and again and again previously. So she says, is it even this chemical reaction, this is not uh, a Christian woman trying to scare young people into staying celibate. It's not like that. This is general science stuff through this sexual thing. This, the way God made us is amazing. But what Solomon's saying is if you do this outside of your committed marriage partner for life, you're giving your best strength, this glue, this chemistry, to another woman that's going to deprive you of your own, uh, your own wife. In our um, marriage course that we do here, when somebody decides to get married, we take them through a five-week marriage course, there's actually a whole session on how to deal with previous partners. Because uh, they interview a number of people, it's all DVD stuff, uh, they interview a number of people who have had other partners before they've been married and they all talk about the experience of when you go into marriage, you're actually got bringing those partners into your marriage. You know, you've forgotten about them. They're years past. You might not ever see them again, but they're still a part of you. There's that attachment glued to you still that you're bringing into your marriage. And it, it takes a lot of effort to deal through that sort of stuff. So what Solomon's saying, I think, is quite insightful. You're giving yourself to somebody else who's not going to be your long-time partner. Uh, the second thing, you're giving your years to them. 
you're investing your best time into them. Now, I've known a number of people who have uh, gone into relationships. You know that friends with benefits, you know they're not interested in married or they're not interested in having children. But after a number of years, you go, actually, I'm keen for commitment. I'm keen for marriage and kids. But when they're not, uh, it's kind of, what am I going to do with my life? And you've just wasted five or ten years with them. The best years of your life, instead of being with someone else, or at least looking for someone else, who's going to be uh, your lifetime partner. So that can happen as well. Invest, you lose years to them. And it can cost you financially, he says in verse 10. I mean, you just mentioned the name Tiger Woods to know how much uh, other lovers can cost you. That's what made him broke and uh, caught him out, the amount of money he had to pay out. But it's not just the famous. It's for everyday people with family support and maintenance and paying offs to secrets to keep your past hidden. It can cost you financially, Solomon's saying. And we see the same scenario unfolding in the next chapter. We're not going to unpackage that uh, in detail, but if you look re- into chapter 6 uh, at your own time, he uses the illustration, you know, when you play with fire, one day you're going to get burnt. He says that's what it's like having an affair. You will get burnt one day by doing this sort of stuff. He uses another example of when you steal from another man, you have to pay the penalty. You have to be punished for stealing from another man. You touch another man's wife, you'll pay the ultimate penalty. You can't escape from that. When you touch another man's wife, that's stealing, he's saying. And you're going to get much punished much greater than just stealing you know, a possession, an item. You've touched his wife. But even if you're not married, you're stealing from future husbands or future wives when you're doing that. He's saying, this is serious. This is serious. There's lots of repercussions if you go down this path. So if you go down this path of saying, I want to exercise my freedom, I want to just enjoy myself now with whoever, I'll choose what's right for me. Solomon says if you go down that path, you'll end up with broken relationships, broken families, broken hearts, and the broken lie of saying this is life, this is life to the full. It's a broken lie. He goes on to say from verse 11, he says you'll get to the point at the end of your life where you'll say, I wish I'd listened to my teachers wishing to listen to the discipline and the correction. I kind of wonder if Solomon's sort of saying that with his hundreds of wives and girlfriends, like, I wish I'd listened, that I've learnt my lesson. Often afterwards we realise that's the case. We've got to learn those lessons for ourselves, but I wish we listened earlier. What appeared to be freedom has actually bound, bound us up. So what about the person who is disciplined? So that's a person who's not disciplined, happy to exercise their sexual freedom, be saying that comes at a high cost, a high cost that'll bind you up. What about the person who is disciplined? The person who says, no, I'm going to save myself to my marriage partner. What does that look like? Uh, I'm not sure whether you've come across somebody when they've had their 25 or 30 year anniversary and you go oh congratulations 25 years 30 years and they turn around say something like yeah you get 15 years for murder i've been here for 25 years it kind of sounds bad doesn't it like marriage is a torture it's a punishment uh, it's a death sentence you could say Uh, it doesn't sound like fun at all but solomon says have a closer look because that's what the world is showing you Let's have a understand marriage through God's eyes. He's the creator. He's the one that designed us for marriage. Let's have a look how he describes it. 
Uh, we pick it up from verse 15, uh, which is, uh, yeah, a great chunk of intimate writing. If you're in any of the um, any of the growth groups and did the study on Proverbs, one of the questions was, what's your favourite proverb? And you had to share it with the group. Uh, let's say I'm in the blokes group and this chunk of verses got a few raps out of favourite verses. But we won't talk about things that happen in growth groups. Um, but you can see what he's talking about. Uh, drink from your own cistern, you well. Now you need to know it's not about water. It's a metaphor for something else. Uh, but you get the idea with water. Water's refreshing, it keeps you alive, keeps you going, keeps you positive, it's sweet. But he says don't use the village well because everybody uses the village well. It goes dry, it's contaminated. You don't know who's been there before you or what animal's been there before you. It's terrible, the village well. You don't know what you're drinking. But if you've got your own well, you look after it. You make sure it's not contaminated. You know exactly who's using it. You can enjoy your own well. It's like your own tap inside. You can drink it and you know it's good. But then he goes on in verse 18, just for us slow learners who are not sure what the metaphor is. He explains it a little bit more. But it's God's description of sexuality inside a marriage, intimacy, where two become one. And that intimacy is so tight, they stop using this two-people language, but one, you're one person. He says, rejoice in your wife. You know, don't see it as the burden or the, the death sentence. Rejoice in her. Like a deer, oh, I haven't been out in the bush recently, but I imagine deers, they just look so graceful. They're grazing together and they're just so cute and happy together. They look. He says, enjoy one another. Enjoy one another. That's why, that's why God gave you the bits that you're different. Enjoy those bits, he says. They're for each other. May her breasts satisfy you always. Uh, physically enjoy each other. I'm not sure... How often I thought I'd be mentioning breasts in church. And I wish I could say, well, actually, in the Hebrew language, it means something else. But no, it's enjoy each other's bits. Enjoy each other. They're for your benefit. God made them for each other. May you ever be captivated by her love. It's not just the physical thing. There's a real connection. It's those chemicals going on. Be fascinated by her love. Be obsessed by her love. The ESV, as we read earlier, says, be intoxicated by her love. Is that, wow, I'm just, can't wait to see her again. I can't wait to, to be talking with her and, and being that one when we, we're apart. But it's for no one else. You'll only get that experience with that one person. See, it's much more than the physical. It's the one woman one man coming together, it's that oxyto oxytocin and the vasopressin, it's all happening, the chemicals are all happening, and it's just at a higher level with that one person. When they're free to give themselves to each other intimately, intimately, it's only when we trust each other 100% that you can do that. Uh, I'm not sure um, how you feel about being naked, but being naked becomes, makes you very vulnerable and you need to trust the other person 100%. You need to feel safe. So then when you become vulnerable, it's not a scary thing, but it's an enjoyable thing inside marriage. And that can take years. That's where I think courtship is a good thing because it actually builds up trust with the other person. Can I trust that person to be so vulnerable I can give my whole self over to them? 
When Hollywood tries to capture these love scenes in one night stands and things like that when they're ripping off each other's clothes, it's very different to what he's talking about here. Very different. Uh, I will admit that I did watch an episode of The Bachelor. I feel like this is a confession series. Um, I only watched one, I did it once, learnt my lesson. But it just struck me. Richie, the bachelor, saying to the girls, I feel like you're holding back from me. I feel like you're not being open with me. I think, Richie, you've just kissed 20 other girls. How is she expected to trust you and be open with you, become vulnerable with you when you're doing all that sort of stuff? It's like, what is going on? It's so different to what God is describing here. So to get to the point of captivation and intoxication, there can't be a hit of abusiveness in a relationship. There can't be a hint of uh, hurting each other. So scars take a long time to heal, a long time, uh, particularly with one partner, but let alone with multiple partners. You stop trusting and it's harder to trust that one that God wants you to be really connected to. It's just more wounds, more scars, and it's just harder to trust again. So when we look at the two scenarios, the two paths, the two journeys you can go on, one appears to be free, but he's actually bound. The one who appears to be bound appears to be free. Which one has real fullness of life? Which one has real freedom? The two paths, Solomon says, there's only one with freedom. And that's the one with full commitment to your partner, to your wife, to your husband. He picks it up in verse 21 when he talks about that whole captivation. Um, are you going to be... Sorry, may, may you ever be captivated by her love in verse 19. Verse 20, why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? Be captivated for sure in love and sexuality, but with the right person. He goes on to say, for a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. Everything he does before God. In verse 22, the evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of sin hold him fast. He's describing what would happen to a wild animal. If you captured a feral animal, what are you going to do? You're going to trap him, ensnare him. You're going to tie him up and bind him so he can't escape. He says that's what sin does. If you go down that path, you use your sexuality as some free thing that you're just throwing around, he says... You'll be ensnared. Those cords will hold you fast. You can't escape. You'll die of lack of discipline, led astray by your great folly. See, this is where he's facing up. Look, there is a disciplined life. Marriage is discipline. It takes a lot of work in marriage. It doesn't just happen. You know, we've taken a little snippet of, that sounds really great. But anybody who's been married knows you have to work at it. You have to have boundaries. You have to be disciplined. You have to take instruction to go, I need to be the best husband I can be or I need to be the best wife I can be to make this thing work. And that does take work. It does take effort to, to have the right time to be intimate like that. It doesn't just happen. But it's God's plan. It's when one man, one woman, two become one. And with that kind of discipline, correction, which the world is going to see as restriction and oppression and rules but it actually releases you to have the most amazing freedom, the fullness of life that God planned. You have to work at it. It's also no guarantee, just thought I'd throw this in there, it's no guarantee of perfect sex either. 
Uh, but what Solomon's saying, these are general rules for life that, that's going. You'll be in a much better position for yourself and for your partner if you save yourself exclusively. But it, but it takes time to develop and happen. So you can see what appears to be uh, the one with freedom, he's actually bound himself up in sin. The one who appears to be in rules, oh, save your sex life for, for marriage partner, you'll actually enjoy the most freedom you can experience, is what he's saying. That's the, that's the theory behind it. But it's not just in sexuality. He says the same thing, a one-minute snippet of, of money. He describes a person who looks free because they're spending money wherever they want. They look all prosperous, enjoying life, but he's bound by his debt. He's living beyond his needs and his debts are pressing him. But he says, have a closer look. The person who is disciplined with their money, you look around, they're actually free. They've got a lot more options in life. When he's describing a person's character, the person who looks to be carefree, looks to be enjoying life, because they just don't care about too much at all, he says they're bound. They've got no options in life when things get tough. But have a closer look. The person who is busy and hardworking and disciplined, they've got lots of options in life. When things get tough, they've got no worries. They've actually got freedom. So he's applying this principle to a number of areas of life. But I take encouragement from when Jesus was talking to a whole group of people in John 10, when he's talking about himself as the shepherd, the good shepherd who's going to protect and watch over his sheep. And he says, uh, so in John 10, verse 10, he says, The thief will come and steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have life to the full. Jesus says, I want you to have life. I'm concerned about you guys. I want you to enjoy it. Not just, so ultimately, it's eternal life. That's where there's going to be no more hurts and scars and, and, and trying to please ourselves. It's different to God's will. But he says, I'm willing to, I want that for you. I want you to have life to the full in heaven for eternity. I want you to enjoy life here while you're here and now. And he wants it so much for you that he's willing to even give his life for it so we can have life, so we can be free of the sin that binds, so that we can go through the healing process and be restored as one of his children. But he also says there's a thief. The thief will come and steal and kill and destroy. There is a thief hovering in this world, in Satan. There is telling lies that people swallow up. No, no, don't go God's way. That, there's nothing in that for you. Go his way. Have the fun now. Life is short. Have an affair. Satan's lies that'll lead you down to a path of destruction. But we have one who wants the best for us. So much so he died for us to give us life. Trust in him. A lot of stuff I've talked about, it's just good instruction for life. But the key to it all is trusting Jesus to knowing his wisdom and understanding his ways. I encourage you to do that. Let me pray. Dear Father, uh, we thank you for this topic. We thank you that the world doesn't own sex, but you own sex, and we are free to talk about it here as a church family. Lord, in the awkwardness of it all, we just thank you that we can encourage one another in our sexuality, no matter what age we are, men or women, married or single, Lord. Continue to keep us on a path of enjoying life as you made us in marriage with our partners. Lord, thank you for the beautiful picture that that is and help us to strive for that and help us to be refreshed in that, to even uh, today, this week, to be reconnected with our partners. 
But Lord, we also recognise that many of us have a lot of hurts just talking about this kind of stuff. That we've made uh, choices that we thought were, uh, were okay at the time, that we were ignorant of repercussions. But Lord, we just pray for your healing hand, that through Jesus Christ that you would heal us, heal our wounds, help us to trust again completely and fully, help us to commit to others when we've been hurt. Because Lord, you know that, um, that we struggle with these things. So Lord, we commit that to you, each and every one of us, we pray, that you'd rejuvenate us, make us new people. Lord, we long for heaven when all things be made right, but Lord, thank you that we can enjoy your creation now. We praise your name for that. Amen.